Whether you're a road warrior, harrier, or track purist, whether you came of age in the 70s as amateurism waned, the 80s and the rise of shamateurism, or the dawning of professionalism in the early 90s, there will be something for you in the latest installment of the Runner's Reunion Podcast. Along with co-hosts Ron Galuli and John Gorman, I'm Grant Whitney. Good morning on a, cha- a chilly, rather January morning. Welcome to the first installment of the Runner's Reunion Podcast. We are absolutely uh, thrilled here at headquarters uh, to have our inaugural conversation with Paul Hammond. Uh, for many of you who know the New England running scene, uh, Paul has been uh, a stalwart, not for 10 years, not for 20 years, not for 30 years, but over 40 years. And it's a pleasure to have him join us. And we're going to start with some uh, you know, questions to kind of loosen everybody up to kind of start from the beginning and we'll move forward from there. So here we go. So Paul, as I understand it, you got your start in running um, really as part of a family kind of tradition. And it was a family affair in your house growing up. And as I understand it, your brothers, Ken and Brad, uh, had, a, had a big influence on you. And I was wondering if you could tell us how that happened and, and what the significance of that, those relationships were. Well, thanks, Grant. And I just want to say it's a pleasure to be here with you and Ron and Boop. Uh, yeah, when I, I started out, my uh, father and my brothers, we'd actually have a little race, race around Westbrook. It was around two miles. And I can still remember crying and falling behind. And my dad would walk with me. And, you know, my brothers would kind of tease me a little. And then my brother, Kenny, he was a big Kenneth Cooper guy. You know, you got to do the 12-minute test. And he'd take me down to the track. And I would cheat and cross the infield and he would be yelling, are you still there? Are you still there? And I'd get back on the track. I'd say, yeah, Kenny, I'm, I'm still, I'm still running with you, man. I'm, I'm right here. And really I was kind of bereft in that, you know, uh, my brothers were really good in school. My sister, they were all valedictorians and uh, uh, Brad got like a full boat to Harvard. And I just really didn't have any kind of bearing, but my brother, Kenny said, why don't you run for high school, Paul? Go up across country, get you in good shape for tennis. And I said, all right, Kenny, that, that sounds like a great idea. And, you know, I went out and at the very beginning, I was the last guy on JV. I was really kind of pathetic. And uh, there was this one race and the coach said, listen, it's a very narrow uh, field out there and you've got to get out fast, get out fast. And I got out fast and I got in the woods and everybody stuck behind me and they're like, get out of the way, get out of the way. And I came out and my coach said, wow, you're doing really well. And I was thinking, wow, this is really painful. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> and I said, but you know, maybe I can keep it up. I don't know. It's, I've never been in so much pain. And you know, I finished and then it just it kind of was like a light bulb. I was like, you know, you can do this. You just have to make it really painful. And that's, that's, that's uh, <laughs> my moment. That, that, seems, that seems like a common denominator for sure. But I'm curious because I don't know anything about this Ken Cooper's 12 minute test. Can you enlighten us a little bit as to what that's all about? Oh, you had to run for 12 minutes as far as you could. And, you know, there's certain standards and, uh, Kenneth Cooper had this book out. My brother Kenny was always into buying books on, you know, planting azoysia grass and you know uh, all kinds of things. He would he would do. He's a crazy guy, but uh, he loved the Kenneth Cooper book, and um, that was part of it. So so it sounds like Kenny. And how how many years older than you were with Kenny? Kenny was two years older. Okay, so close enough to be close, but not old enough to be you know. 
unconnected, disconnected. You know, oh no, he was very. He was he was the one who pushed me. I mean, his senior year, he was going to be the number one guy in cross country, and he went away to uh, you know uh, Squires. Uh, used to, Bill Squires ran this cross country camp, and he put a thing on the refrigerator. You got to do all this stuff, Paul. You got to do all these things. And uh, we had this dog Tilla that loved to run, and, and Tilla would just look at me like in the morning. And I really didn't have much going on, so I'd run the dog in the morning and. She'd be back in the afternoon looking at me some more. I said, all right, let's go out again. So I was like doing two five-mile runs a day. And, you know, Kenny came back, and I was a little faster than him, so I just sat on him in races and then kick out, I'll kick him at the end. Oh, so, so this didn't quite work out technically the way Kenny would have liked to have seen it. Younger no. brother beating him at the end. Yeah, but, you know, he was happy for me, I think. Okay. So, so fast forward a little bit. So you, you, you made the family goal. You, you, you're now better than your older brother. Uh, tell me a little bit about what it was like for you as a, you know, teenager uh, to be on, as I understand it, uh, your school won the state championship uh, title in 78. Is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was great. Uh, we had this one guy, he was the second guy on our team and he, uh, his father was in the service and they were moving to Florida and I'm like, dude, you're the second best guy. You can't go. You, you got to live up in my attic. He said, all right. <laughs> and then we got like this Swedish exchange student in, but he ended up being a better soccer player. He ran track for us, but in cross country, he's like, I got to play soccer. And then he ended up kicking field goals on the football team because when he saw how pathetic the field goal kicker was, he's like, oh, Paul, I can do that. And I said, well, go do it then. And the next thing I know, there he is kicking field goals. And uh, then there was this guy, Greg Hayes, that moved up from Milford who I knew was a good runner and he came out and we used to have just a, a heck of a time together. We all would just train like animals and, uh, and, and run and party. And it was a great time. Uh, were you favored to win? Was, was the team favored or did you all come out of nowhere? No, Chevrolet always won. In fact, they were in sports illustrated. They had won so many, uh, dual meets in a row and they set some national record and, uh, we ended up beating Chevrolet. Oh, so that had to be really sweet. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, great. Great. Okay, we're going to do a quick high, high school speed round. Cross country or track? Oh, I, that's a good question. I don't know. Track. I didn't okay. lose the track. I lost in cross country. All right. Favorite <laughs> racing distance on the track? Uh, I have to say the mile. Mile. Okay. Favorite shoes? Oh, the Villanovas. Brooks. You ever heard of the Brooks Villanova? Okay. Yeah, yeah I had, that was my first pair of running shoes. The Brooks yeah, is that what, then the waffle, rate, the waffle trainers. I like the waffle. Yeah, we were at the oh. same era. That was my second pair. Yeah. Uh, okay. They were big improvement from the pro keds I started in. <laughs> I started out in green pro keds. That is so funny. The first pair of shoes I ran were like green leather pro keds or something. Yeah. They're horrible. <laughs> all right so so as i understand it not only did were you on a you know state championship team you uh you know had a a, a phenomenal uh, track career won the state uh state championships twice in a mile is that right you know I, I i won the two mile i ended up running 929 there my junior year then the, the senior year i just ran the mile and just ran the mile and you won okay yeah all right so you're obviously getting noticed uh, you know, junior year, heading into you know, senior year of high school. And um, as uh, also in your bio, I learned that your family has a long tradition of going to Bates. And for our audience who can't see us, uh, it's worth noting that Paul is wearing a well-worn Bates College sweatshirt. 
Um, so the family has a tradition for baits. And I know certainly in my family, the idea of going to where a parent went to school was like, you don't want to touch that. You want to go as far away as possible. So can you, can you describe for us a little bit how you went through your uh, college you know, decision process? I, I should also note, I think that Kenny was just ahead of you at Bates, is that right? I, he was, so he was going there. Uh, you know, I like the coach, Walter Slavinsky. When I was a junior in high school, going to my senior year, I went up to watch my brother run the alumni race that they were gonna have up there. And uh, coach looked at me and says, you wanna run? I said, sure, you know, I jumped in and there's this guy, Ralph Thomas that I knew from running on the roads and, uh, you know, there were a couple other people besides just the uh, alumni in the varsity who kind of got invited to run. And uh, afterwards, I think the coach was pretty impressed with my run because he took me to the shoe room. He says, hey, you want a pair of shoes? I think it's like a big violation back then. I'm like, sure. He goes, yeah, yeah. When you go to school here, you just give them back to me then. I said, okay. I got a pair of nice racing shoes for indoor track, which I was real happy with. And then, um, then though, at the end, it just came down to money because I got to the University of Pennsylvania back then was going to be $6,100 and Bates was $5,600. And then after everything was said and done, I'd have to pay $1,000 or my dad could pay $1,000. He said he split it with me. And back then, working in the SD Warren Paper Mill Westbrook, you could make $1,000 in a summer. So really, nowadays, it's like a whole different ball game. But back then, it was just like, oh, well, this I, I definitely can do. And uh, so that was that. It's, it's funny. We were talking just before we, uh, this morning uh, with Grant and talking about how the college process, uh, selection process has changed so much. And uh, I, I kind of liken it to trying to buy a car, you know. Um, but, yeah, back then it was really simple, right? You have a short list and you didn't have much money and you'd go to mm -hmm. – you know, whatever really worked out. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of division three runners like you, uh, I think of like someone like Paul McGovern who were really talented and he was at Fitchburg state and he still holds records there. And he, he's got a great story from Fitchburg state and we definitely have to have him on the show. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, you had quite a, quite a run at Bates, uh, multiple all American, um, you know, performances at the NCAAs. I did. It was before, a lot. Of before we get to laud you on on the career of Bates, I do have a question that you that you that I'm, I'm curious about. You were talking about the delta, the difference between you know the cost of going to Penn versus Bates, and where was it that was it the paper mill that you were talking about where you would work over the summer, or, or did I mis misunderstand? Yeah, yeah. That? My dad worked in the paper mill, and then in the summers they, they would hire you know people who were going off to college to work in the summer, and it was great. It was great money. So how did how did that work? Working a full day, presumably. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, when would you do your training? And, uh, and it well, sounds like it, it's probably a pretty physical job. Oh, yeah, but it, it was shift work, too. So there's three shifts, you know, uh, your day shift and then kind of your evening shift. You go in at three, you work at 11. And then there was this, like, 11 to, like, 6 in the morning. And I worked all three shifts. If they ever needed someone to work, you'd work extra if you could. And you would just train around it. I mean, basically, you just run anytime you could. Sometimes when you're working the midnight shift, you'd be running at noon, whatever. I mean, I was always like a high mileage type guy. As soon as uh, seasons would stop, like people would say, I'm taking a week off. I'd be like, oh, screw that. I'm going to run twice as many miles now because I didn't really have to run hard. I could just go out and log in easy miles. And, and I, I like running slow and easy. And that's what I would do. Just get as many miles in as I could, not worry about the speed or anything else. Just log in miles. 
Thank you for that. Because I, I, you know, I, I do wonder if, if some of that is lost on, on the modern generation, but you know, who knows, you know, that yeah. kind of work ethic and, and uh, I, I don't you know, think we have to too pay. many college athletes working in paper mills any longer no. in the summer. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. My first exactly. high school coach, he's always just, you know, getting easy miles while, you know, on off seasons, you know, wait till you, you know, get in the season before you start running fast and, and just enjoy yourself and run long and run easy. That was his mantra. And, that he's my coach, and that's what I liked. So let, let's forward now back to for forward two bits, um, and that's really where you made a mark. Not that you didn't make a mark before, but but you know you're you're still pretty much a legend in many respects up there. By my count, you're still on. Let's see, indoor performances, you're still top ten in the fifteen hundred, three thousand, and five thousand. Outdoors, you're still in the top ten, steeple five thousand, and still. Uh, setting a mark of 349 in 1982 holds the school record at 1500 meters. We're talking 40 years this spring. Um, as you look back now with the benefit of experience and hindsight and you know, through the rose-colored glasses and looking back to youth, um, how would you describe your college career? What, what was important to you? What, what are you most proud of as you look back? Ooh. Well, I would say... Um... Going into the national championship in outdoor every single year, we didn't have a national championship in indoor, but um, that junior year when I set that 349.1, I was in I was in great shape. I ran a lot in the summer. I made all American in cross country. I ran 406 in, in, in the mile indoors. I was in really great shape. And then I hurt my knee and I just could not get over this injury. And uh, I just wasn't running that well in outdoor because I, I couldn't get in the miles anymore. And, the coach is like, you're going to have to go home, man, because he, it was something called short-term there base. If, if you were competing, you could stay, or if you're taking a short-term. But I'd already taken two short-terms, and you only take two. And so I was just there to compete, and I couldn't even work in the mill yet. It wasn't, wasn't running yet for me. So he's, he's like, open New England. If you don't run, like, the qualifying time again, you're going home. And uh, my buddy Pete Wayne uh, was running great. He was beating on me every race. And he ran a 350 point for the new school record. And he held it for all of like three minutes and 50 seconds. Cause I went out there in the next heat and ran 349.1. And he's like, you bastard. And I'm like, sorry. Man. Well, I may, I may dispute that time, at least according to the official Bates college website, because by my math, you've got that, that 1500 by two seconds, which means sounds like you're probably oh. might a little farther back. But anyway, you're two seconds clear on that all-time list on that score. Um, well, it sounds like it's been a great career um, and obviously one that you have every right to be proud of. You now graduate in 1982, and the running boom is in its heyday, right? Um, so as you look at, call it the summer of 82 into 83 and, and 84, what stands out to you about those three years? from a running perspective? What was it like? Where, where were you? What were you doing? Where did running fit in as you kind of, you know, took that, uh, you, you took a side and threw that, that cap in the air and, and grabbed that piece of paper and moved forward? All right. So, uh, you know, my wife, she was then uh, my girlfriend. Uh, you know, I wanted to stay with her kind of, and uh, I got a job at the Athletic Attic up in Auburn, uh, Maine, selling shoes. And I lived with this guy, Jamie Goodbullet, who was a friend of mine who, if you look at those records, he, he broke them all by like a second or so. And I'm like, oh, Jamie, you bugger. She's just <laughs> breaking all my records, man. 
And uh, the guy, Pete, who had run the 1500, we were, we were kind of living off campus together and, you know, I'd run back and forth to, uh, to, to work. And, and man, I just started running road races like all the time. So my knee shut down on me for a while, but then I came back and um, uh, Joni Benoit, uh, you know, she was up there. I knew her the first race I ever ran. Uh, she beat me. I thought, Oh, here's this little boy passing me. I said, no, it's a little girl. That girl's going to be 10 <laughs> years old. I'm like, mom. Anyway, I did got her at the end, but oh, it's painful. I was lying on the ground holding my stomach because I had this terrible stitch. And she comes over, oh, thank you so much for making me work. And I was like, you're welcome, you're welcome. But she was training like in 84 for the, uh, the Olympic tr uh, trials. And uh, mm -hmm. so she'd call me up. Her, her uh, husband, Scott, was uh, roommates with my uh, assistant manager. His, guy, his name was Ingersoll, Bruce Ingersoll. So Scott Samuelson was rooming with him. And we'd go out and, you know, have dinner together and stuff every now and then. And she says, I'm going to call you up and we'll do indoor speed workouts. And she'd want to do six repeat miles at five minute pace, 200 meter rest. And she would just bang them out with me. But uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I ran for Saucony, uh, Dave McGovery. He did a great job putting the Saucony club together and they would fly us to races. Uh, you know, I, I flew to Barcelona to run the marathon all on them. Uh, Bank One Ohio marathon on them. Uh, you know, the old reliable run in North Carolina. This guy, Guy Stearns, I, I'd fly mm -hmm. with him. Guy was, he was tremendous. He was like a 2840 guy for the 10K. He was yeah. like right there. UNH legend. Yeah. 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 Hey John, John, you need to get in here now. I mean, you know, I'm in. Yeah, now get in here and start, you know, start start this conversation you've been bragging. Now, about. now, um, Paul. Speaking of Joining Benoit, uh, do you remember the story where Joining Benoit was running along and you were right beside her, and some commentator or I don't know, on Channel Five or whatever said, uh, "Boy, Joining looks good. Uh, who's that annoying guy?" No, no, it's not actually. You were behind the first one, Joining Benoit was in the commentating and someone says who's that annoying guy you yes. know behind the lead woman and and then uh Joni's like oh that's that's Paul Hammond he's a all-american blah 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 you know and it was like I remember that Paul yes Chet Curtis yeah. doing the announcing and I was with Uda Pipping and uh right, it'll pivot, yeah. he called me a wide body which you know right. I, I guess maybe <laughs> I am I, I am now back then I was 150 six feet I don't know <laughs> But uh, Joni says, yeah, you know, he's a very good local runner, master runner. I think I was a master at the time. Well, I, don't, I don't think so. No, no I don't think so. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. Getting uh, close. But yeah, yeah. He's good. He belongs there. Let him alone. Hey, yeah. as long as you run as hard as you can when you're in front of the women. I mean, because they would catch you at 10,000 meters, and uh, it would happen to me quite a bit. That's when they mm -hmm. came up, I think, with a separate style. It's called the Paul Hammond rule. They're like, we're not right. This guy <laughs> for 18 miles, but I'm running with Bob Dabrio once, and there's all of a sudden the women catch us at 10k, and there's helicopters, and there's everything. And Bob looks at me, he's oh, I, I, I'm, I'm not in here. And I said, Oh, I'm in, I'm in for the ride, Bob. I'm just staying as long as I can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, um, Paul, uh, tell the story about the busy bee singlet that, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> And, you know, I run Boston pretty much every year. And uh, my cousin owned this busy bee bar in Watertown. And, you know, it's Easter for some reason, right before Boston. And I says, hey, if you give me a singlet before tomorrow, I'll get you on TV for like probably, you know, six miles to like 18 or 19 miles. And he said, really? And I says, yeah. And so, boom, he gives me this. And then I got free, like, Guinness and Wings for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> next year. 
And more free Guinness and more free wings. It was, it was a great deal for me. Now, did you uh, catch any grief from uh, World Away from Dave Cassandra at all? Or well, I, you know, he probably was not all that happy with the. He called them the busy bee years. <laughs> yeah, I still remember that. I, I don't know why I was watching that year. I was going to be injured, but I still remember seeing the busy bee thing. I'm like, what's up with that? You know? So. <laughs> Well worth the effort. Yep, yep, yep. Good story. So, but um, now, well away, you've been with them how many years now? I've been with you twenty years or twenty-two years. Yeah. When did you When did you join them? Right when you got out of college, or so uh, after I athletic got out of college, and my wife came down here to go to law school, Scott Suffolk Law School, and uh, basically, I finally got transferred down to this athletic attic here. And uh, I mean, I still remember telling my, my story to my daughter just the other day about this because I came down and the, the national chain came in and uh, these guys were dicks. They were assholes. And this guy, man, he just he made me like cry. But I, 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 I needed the money. I could not quit the job. In fact, I went and I, I started interviewing around. And I interviewed with this guy for like Cuomo's. I don't know if you know them. This is a place they sold electrical appliances, but they wanted to sell shoes. And back then I was making like 15,000. Oh, they're up in Salem, the uh, electronics. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just, I'll no. give you $21,000 to, to come sell shoes for me. I'm like, okay, great. I got to go sell shoes for this guy. And he goes, oh, but if you ever steal anything from me, I'll kill your father-in-law. I'll torture your mother-in-law. I'm like, I'll kill your wife. And I'm like, well, what the hell are you talking about, man? You're out of your mind. I go home and I'm like, because really my wife's in law school. She's not making any money. She's waitressing some. So. I've got tenants. I'm living in a three-family house that we purchased in Lawrence, you know? And if I don't have a, them all rented out, I can't even pay the mortgage. And I was beside myself. And then I went to Dave and I said, Dave, I can't work for these guys. I can't work for this guy. Can I come work for you? And he says, yeah, come work for me. So that's probably 1986. Because I got married. That was probably one of the first years. You were probably one of the first runners from oh, Norway, yeah. right? It was Bruce Butterworth, Eddie Nutter, yep. myself, Scott Brown. Yep. Yeah, that was, and you've been with them ever since. That's yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah, no, Dave, Dave helped me out. I was in, I was in a big bind at that particular mm -hmm. time. Then my wife got out of law school, got a job. Mm -hmm. We moved to East Boston. Yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul, one one race that sticks out in my mind, kind of as the the way I view it is the culmination of the running boom, and then a, a steady decline. You know with the, the U.S. running in the 90s was the uh, Agawam Five Miler in 1985, oh where I know you ran an unbelievable race. And I ran my, I know I ran my best five mile time and just got absolutely spanked. Um, but there was so many local runners in that race. There were a couple, uh, actually two main guys, two other main guys, Bruce Bickford set an American record and uh, Hank Feifel, who's a legend and now he's uh, really into bike racing. But uh, yeah, tell us about that race. And uh, I think I even saw a comment on Facebook that you you maybe even had the same feelings about. I know for me, I I never ran as well again after that after that race. Yeah. So that year, coming leading up to that race, I I got in the best shape of my life. Like I said, I was doing those speed workouts with Joni. Then on my own on on a Wednesday, I'd do those on Monday night. On Wednesday, I'd run six by repeat, one mile with two hundred meter rest in sub four forty. And uh, I went down once uh, to Portland to run a race because it's $300 of groceries. And there's Hank. And, you know, I just spanked Hank. And uh, Hank comes up to me afterwards. You know, I was like 23, 30. 
like kind of all by myself. He's like, Paul, you can run with anyone right now. You just got to go out there and, and, you know, get in a big race. And he told me his whole story about how he almost beat Nick Rose in this race. And Nick Rose says, Hank, you got to go <laughs> you can run with anybody. So, uh, uh, I, I raced uh, Guy Stearns in his landmark 10K. Uh, I was second. He was first, you know, around 29, 30. And he says, Paul, you got to come to Agawam. I, I says, I, I, you know, he says, I'll get you the room. He says, these, they're great down there. They'll take care of you. It's, it's, it's all set. I said, okay. So then I get down there and, uh, you know, everybody just went flying that night. You know, Bruce Bickford uh, sets the American record. And uh, I was 23.19, which I was like, you know, about 20 or well, 15 seconds uh, better than I had just run. And I'm just like, oh, this is the best. And then ah, I got injured. I got married. And then I never ran as fast. <laughs> I <laughs> can yeah. I think I was 11th too. And Hank beat me too. Oh, that bugger. He stuck it to me. Yeah. I think between 11 and 20, there was quite a local presence with like Tom Rackless, Wally Collins, Mike Gagney. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. to name a few. I mean, it was. It was an incredible night. Yeah, I think I ran like 25 and change, and I think I was like 40th or something like that. You know, something on you know, the field. Well, let me, let me ask you something. So after college, would you consider yourself self-coached going forward? Or, or how, did, how did you figure out your training? What was, who, who did you rely on? Or yeah, you just kind of running by the seat of your pants? <laughs> So, for instance, that whole workout thing, uh, the only reason I did it was a buddy of mine told me that that guy, uh, this is guy George Rose that I used to run with, and he was like my roommate. And uh, Pete Wayne tells me, oh, George did this workout, you know, sub 450 for six of these miles with 200 meter rest, which George had not done. So I'm like, well, I just have to do that and then do it better. And then George asked me, why did you tell Wildman I did that? You know, he's just going to just work on it till he does it better but yeah i was self-coached after that i mean you know joni she liked the workout too six by a mile and really i didn't do any speed workout under uh, a mile i mean uh th that one year i just decided i'm gonna run as much as i can i ran 100 to 140 miles a week and uh at the end of 140 miles a week i ran like a 14 19 at the bates indoor track against this guy doug swayze because he had just beat me in the rock and roll rumble because they took us the wrong way on the milk run. Course. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> and did get, uh, uh, Lepree, uh, and, uh, he's Greg Pickle Slimer's brother-in-law. And uh, he was on a truck with, sorry, truck with Charles Laquadera. And they were all up there kind of smoking, getting high, and they took us the wrong way. And it's crazy. <laughs> I, got I think I heard about that. So, okay. So help me with this. I've uh, in in my career, I always needed a coach. I always needed somebody to bounce ideas off of that I might do follow, you know, to the letter, or kind of say, ah, not today, but you know, later this week. How do you? How did you? You know, how did you? Who did you help have the self talk with? You know, maybe to say, you know, I'm not going to do the workout today, or or how did you? You know, that that mental physical challenge of saying, you know, today's the day to go hard, today's the day to go easy. Was that ever an issue for you, or did, were you just able to just uh, I always run, or did, until now, uh, two days hard, and then race, and then the rest of the day is easy. Well, you know, that's kind of when I'm in my season, and then, you know, if I don't have any races, I just kind of run long. No, I just always did it myself. 
So, Paul, uh, talk to us about, I guess, two things. You've had a lot of injuries over the years, right? But you had that one knee surgery that was very complicated. And it was kind of like saved your career, basically. And then when you talk about that, I think that's the same year that you were running the uh, Pub Series Challenge. And you finished one race with a scooter, with uh, <laughs> with a cast, or you couldn't run. So you did it just to, just to make sure you got your jacket or your shoes at the end of the series. That, or you want just to do it. You did, you did it in a scooter. Well, that was actually a, a toe surgery. I had run so much so hard, I shredded the hallus flexus longest tendon in my large toe. And then I, I just could not run with it like that. So they had to put a cadaver tendon in there to replace it. Uh, but when I was 48, I had the knee surgery after Boston. Like It was the year that Lance was there too, because he seemed like such a jerk. You know, I I, I had this terrible knee thing, but, you know, I just had to run it. I, I was like you, Boot. You know, I, I, I've been running it every year. I'm just going to keep running it. And uh, I was hobbling at the end. And he came by with, like, a whole posse of people. And I was yelling for him. And he was, like, not interested in anyone at all. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because I patted – I finished, and he was right ahead of me. And I patted him on the back. I said, hey, good job, Lance. Nothing. Oh, nothing. Now I'm back. That guy's a jerk. <laughs> I think most so, of our listeners will agree. Yeah. Yeah. But the uh, – so – but it was a really complicated – the knee surgery, though, was – yeah. They drill yeah. in the bone is a micro fracture procedure. And, you know, then the blood flow kind of comes in and creates uh, you're kind of like a fake cartilage type thing. And, but I'll tell you, after about three years, four years, it's good. By the time I was 53, I was running like crazy again. Yep. 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 So you have to have another knee surgery in that knee too, but now it's good again. It's good. You're unbelievable. <laughs> so uh, one, one thing I want to bring up though, um, before we end is at least bring up, one regret I have is not introducing you to Litchfield Road Race sooner hmm. than I did. Because I think uh, I always said that it was like a match made in heaven. I mean, that's the best, one of the greatest races anywhere. And it is, I would say, in New England, it's the best. And it is with a party atmosphere and, you know, competitive race. And I mean, it just fits your personality. And, and the people there fits you, fits you like a glove. So, um, I can't help but, you know, go away without mentioning you and Litchfield. I agree a hundred percent, boot man. I love that race. Nope. No, and they love you. <laughs> I They're wondering why you didn't run it sooner. <laughs> so, so, but yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite a race. So, but, uh, oh. and, and, and I just, I just want to say though, Paul, has had a great career, long career, like, like Grant said. And uh, I can tell you that he's probably one of the most modest people I know that when I mean, you had, you know, people post on Facebook what they've done and, you know, memories and blah, 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 blah. But Paul, one of the most modest, you know, athletes I know, um, never talks about himself and uh, always encouraging other people and talking about other people, not himself. So oh, thank he's a you. great character. Yeah. I appreciate so, that, man. So one final uh, set of speed round questions. We did the high school, we did the college, and now we're way past college. Favorite training shoe? Ooh, uh, I would have to say Hoka's now. I really like the Hoka Clifton. You need the extra cushioning, man. And they're very stable, you know? You know, plantar fasciitis has never been an issue, really, with Hoka's. Destination or the journey? 
Oh, um, I think it's the journey, man. I, I, I think it's the journey. I, I have a lot of fun in running and, and meeting people like, uh, Boone says, uh, going to different parties, like at Litchfield and dancing and, and, uh, having a few beers afterwards with people. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, uh, records and stuff, eh, you know, I, I, if you get some, that's great. Uh, but if you don't, that's fine too, because it's just a fun journey. Well, Paul, I want to thank you on behalf of Ron Galuli and, and John Gorman for joining us our, on our first installment of the Runners Reunion podcast. It's been our real pleasure to host New England legend Paul Hammond. Look forward to a next edition sometime in the not-so-distant future. Until then, keep on running.